Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. Today I'm joined by Matthias in space. Hi Matthias. Hi you all, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's really good to have you here. And without further ado, I'd love to hear from you. What is an idea that has been helping you uh, live well and um, that you'd like to share with us? Great, yeah. Um, well, it's kind of a constellation of ideas really, but... Um, Something I've been interested in lately and trying to um, build on step by step is uh, my relationship to uh, to to my emotions, <laughs> which has been a, um, a a lifelong journey for me. Um, and a big part of that has been learning how to recognize when I am um, when I'm repressed pressing what I'm feeling in order to conform to some ideal mode of behavior. Um, that is a pattern that's been recurring for me over, over the whole course of my life. Um, and I've been, I've been working on trying to break through that because I've found again and again Either, either this ends, like the, the model of behavior that I'm trying to conform to, either that results in um, a situation where I spend a lot of my time in denial, you know, that mode of like, oh, I'll get started in 15 minutes, I'll get started in 20 minutes, mm. just after I watch this video or something like that. And it's possible to lose days, weeks that way. <laughs> I, I have a lot of memories from, from college of uh, having lost a lot of time in that kind of mode of just feeling like there was something I was supposed to be doing. And as long as I wasn't doing that, um, nothing else was acceptable. So I would just remain in this sheltered mode where I wasn't fully aware of myself. Um, and then the other, the other prong of it is sometimes um, the ideal model of behavior has managed to, to work itself out. And then once I got started, I wasn't really able to stop because in order to get there, I'd, I'd kind of... Um, cut short my relationship with, with myself. And like, when I'm working hard, how does this make me feel? Do I feel aligned with, with uh, what I really want to be doing? And um, am, I, uh, am I taking care of myself? And at some point I would learn to just turn those alarms off and then run myself into the ground essentially. <laughs> Maybe wow. after having gotten a lot done, but then uh, at some point uh, the thing that I've been trying to ignore reasserts itself and then and then I just became a mess for a, a year or so. Yeah, that's that's actually fascinating and um, really yeah, also touches me on, on a personal level. I can definitely sympathize and see where you're coming from when you're saying, um, when you're mentioning that pattern of not really doing what you feel you should be doing, uh, but maybe that's because the the should is really not your very own authentic should, right? 
Um, right. So, it, yeah, I'd be interested in in exploring how and in, in both of us, like I'll I'll definitely openly share uh, how does this come to be in terms of growing up that this is the pattern that a person adopts and and runs with even though knowing that it's not optimal and then i'm guessing that for both for the both of us the the situation was that uh, there was just no obvious alternative right or the alternative could look so um bold or something like that or far-fetched or mm. yeah anything like that so i know for you yeah how how do you did you get to think about how this pattern really emerge? Mm. I I have, yeah. And I think in that in that sense, maybe we there are some parallels with what you and I have experienced. Um, yeah. So I I think I would trace it to like. Um, well, I think growing up, I put a lot of stock in my intelligence. And, and so, so did my family. That was kind of the environment I grew up in, um, both in the sense that everybody kind of thought I was going to make it big. You know, they call it gifted child syndrome, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but also in the sense that intellect was a refuge for me because uh, my, my home life was, was, uh, was less than ideal. So I would tend to find things to escape into. And sometimes that would be... Um, mathematics sometimes it would be books a lot of the time it would be computer games but I developed a practice of maintaining a kind of happy place for myself that was driven it was quite intellectually driven you know like I was trying to explore possibilities in a simulated protected environment and I mm. think at some point I I I, I guess like because I started doing that at such a young age I never really saw it as a as a coping mechanism in my teenage years, even though that's what it was. Um, and I have a, a bit of a story about this actually. Um, well, so it's set the stage. It's like middle of middle of college, just had like a tumultuous year where I decided to, I had decided to make the big leap. I was gonna drop out of school and become a writer and then rapidly saw that that wasn't for me. <laughs> and then kind of slunk back to school thinking like if I don't know what I'm doing with my life at least I can be miserable and getting a degree you know and <laughs> making progress um so I'd, I'd come back it has coincided with the tumultuous uh relationship like my first serious relationship which had fallen through very rapidly and left me with some some damage and I was I was talking to my uh next youngest sister at the time I have two two younger sisters um and she had just entered into a relationship and she was really excited about it and she wanted to tell me about it. And I would kind of nod along in this like Skype conversation we were having, right? I would, I would nod along and um, uh, kind of minimally acknowledge what she was telling me and then try to redirect to something else that we would more accustomed to talking about, like something, something intellectual. Right. And, uh, I was so persistent with it that eventually like she got, she was hurt and she called me on it and was like, this isn't where I, what I want to be talking about. I want to talk about how I'm in love. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, I recognized in that moment 
what I was doing, you know, that I was, I was directing things away from what was making me uncomfortable and bringing up this recent pain to something safe. Um, and then there was a moment where I was trying to explain this to her and suddenly the, the floodgates opened, you know, and I started, I started bawling inconsolably for like an hour, I think. Um, and I was, I was so rattled by it that I thought like, okay, something seriously wrong with me. <laughs> Although at the time I hadn't, I didn't really have the means to understand what it, what it was, but that was a moment where I, where it became really clear what I'd been doing so often up until that point in my life that like the, using the intellect to escape and using, using like the goal of um, getting things done or creating new ideas as a way to escape from the emotional realities of my situation. Yeah. That, yeah, again, that resonates with me a lot, and I'm I'm happy you did the thinking because it sounds like it's you you've done some thinking for me. Like it applies perfectly. Um, yeah, just being really? depressed. Yeah, just being depressed for me um, through my teenage years. I was still on the outside, a very smiley person, uh, I think. But definitely thinking um, back, I see myself. Yeah, like sitting in front of the computer. Well like well past bedtime which I should have gone to bed and just staying there and kind of not not wanting to be alone with myself in any meaningful way but your anecdote <laughs> reminded me of, of, of a funny anecdote on, on my part which was it wasn't very funny at the time but um, actually in real time I think I appreciated it as, as very funny but I had a friend at the time uh, who I opened up to at some point, it was like, I'm depressed, you know, I have um, really bad thoughts, like thinking about death and stuff and like uh, suicidal mm -hmm. ideation, stuff like that, which thankfully I never acted on, but it, it did bother me and did run through my mind uh, rampantly. And I opened up to him and he's like, uh, dude, you have to tell your dad that this is something that you're going through. I know it's uncomfortable and, you know, but family's family. Uh, like you should know, maybe you could come up with something. So I was like, okay, he's right. Um, I'm going to walk up to my dad and I'm like, dad, okay, maybe we should uh, sit down and I, I have something to, to tell you. And I'm like, I don't want to freak him out with this stuff. You know, it's super serious. It's so, um, it's so heavy. And he's just sitting there and he's looking at me, waiting for me to say, and it's like, and I'm like, I, just uh, stuttering and stammering and, and then at some point it just blurted out it's like oh you're gay <laughs> like what <laughs> like no i i think i laughed at the moment it was like that is clearly probably for him i don't know the worst thing he could have he could have thought about that would happen to a person and i'm like no that's such a bizarre thing that you you would think that of all the like really serious things and it's not even that serious you know but i'm like no i'm mm. i'm just depressed and and you know i don't know what to do with that and i think that was eventually a cul-de-sac like my dad is just not of a generation <laughs> that's able to offer much um but it was good to to let my guard down and just put put the cards on the table and yeah, so so I, yeah. I really I really see where you're coming from, and 
it's I think we'll get talk to that because I want you to to lead with the with the story that's led you to to where you are and some of the techniques you're using today. But it's something that I'm working on um, to this day, and even just recently, um, I felt like I had uh, breakthroughs. But um, I guess we'll mm -hmm. discuss that in in due time. And yeah, really interested to hear from you. Uh, what were some of the early experiments or thoughts that you had about uh, going about solving this problem? Yeah, very, very good question. Uh, I wanted to say in response to your story that um, it, it really highlights, I think, that opening up, especially if you're used to bottling things, uh, is is pretty risky, right? Because you, you don't know how it's going to go. And it like... <laughs> like from that story I'm hearing, it had a similar vibe to to as if you were trying to to come up to him, right? It, 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 because it felt similarly, um, uh, I guess, shameful. Is that mm. perhaps the wrong word? Or it, it, yeah, there was some yeah. fear associated with just admitting to to yeah. the, the dark feelings you were going through. Yeah, ab absolutely. I mean, I never wanted yeah. to be uh, a person who's just uh, out there saying like you know, waving my uh, victimhood or something like that. Like my, mm -hmm. um, my mom died young when I was young and she was young, but um, mm -hmm. I wasn't going around. I think I was playing on that ticket a little bit in the early years, but I really wanted to just be done with these feelings and, and live a different right. life. And I had no idea how to do that. So um, yeah, in in a sense, uh, I guess I guess you're right. You know, maybe he's not that crazy that it went in that direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that feeling of like, and and it doesn't always go well the first the first time uh, to to open up, especially especially something that uh, that up to that point you hadn't been telling other people about because like you mm -hmm. didn't want to didn't want to bother them or you didn't think they'd understand. Yeah, like I, I, I very much love or, that. <laughs> or I probably, I probably was acting weird in all sorts of ways, like you know, teasing people, wishing that they would ask me instead of me having to to come forward with this in some way, you know. So just acting oh, a little bit bizarre or um, just giving out hints, maybe, but not really ever just saying it straight. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think um, that lines up with my story too, a little bit that um, that that moment of like, um, crying inconsolably out of nowhere, um, tipped me off that something was going on. And I think especially after that, I started to um, I guess I tried to, I don't suppose there's a better way of putting it, but open up this relationship with myself and like pull back the curtain on the feelings that I've been trying to avoid. And at first, I think it manifested almost as a kind of paranoia about my, my mind, my subconscious, right? Like what else is being hidden from me by myself, right? And I felt quite, quite clueless in that, in that state. And when I did connect with the sadness that also was problematic because I didn't know what to do with it. And there was a sense in which the repression was protective because just being alone as one often 
I think um, a lot of people are in college because it's this weird kind of atomized environment where maybe you make friends and maybe you don't. Um, that I, it, it was quite, uh, quite alienating and quite uh, terrifying to, to, to be facing those feelings alone and then not really having enough support through that. So yeah, I just had kind of had to do, do, do my best, kind of look for opportunities to, to make, make connections and uh, otherwise, you know, use, use um, distraction as a, as a strategy. But I was, I guess in a way it was an improvement because at least now I was aware that, that that's what I was doing. <laughs> That I was trying to like direct attention away from the things that were that were eating at me, um, so at least then I wasn't burdened with the additional uh, challenge of having to pretend I was okay, trying to perform this to myself, you know. Right, which is a fantastic first step in any journey of of healing or just living well is don't lie to yourself or you know 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 yourself as, as intimately as possible and yeah yeah so was it uh that you try to reach out to people more and uh, reach out to people more and maybe keep an eye on this tendency of yours so that when the time comes to uh, push through and do do the thing that is not your habit but what you now see as the correct course to take uh, instead was it just a more explicit kind of uh, process mm. yeah i would say more explicit that that makes sense yeah um and I, I was doing a little bit more like asking for help after that point um yeah and and, and being more more explicit but i think it was still mixed because often like on the surface, I would recognize, like I had this newfound recognition that um, I could be very surprised by how I was actually feeling in moments that forced me to, to face it. Um, but still the, the, um, the tendency was to drift back to the, to the behavior and the mindset I was used to. Uh, and once I was in that, I, uh, I didn't know, I didn't really know how to get out, right? Because I, you can't really induce an emotional crisis to, to try to open yourself up. It just kind of has to happen. Um, and when it does, it's, it's both the worst thing that can happen <laughs> until, until like the aftermath when it starts to feel cathartic. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's super interesting but, to, to, to see uh, where those uh, turning points really happen. Um, mm. Yes. Was there a turning point for you where it just something clicked? Yeah, well, I mean, this is the part, like the next part of the story is, mm. is really about um, my, my partner, Danielle Benson, who's a, a voice and speaking coach. So I was kind of lucky to meet someone who uh, had expertise that, like at the time, I didn't realize this connected at all. But um, at some point I was just like, hey, Danielle, can you, give me some lessons. I'd like to be able to, to sing better. Um, 
And in the process of that, um, she helped me like get a, a really big insight into this uh, um, this this question of um, I suppose the best way to put it is how to get in touch with my feelings, like how to how to know how close to crisis I am uh, without without having to just like wait until something happens that forces me to reckon with it. So hmm, I guess the how I would frame that, like the the thing that she taught me kind of indirectly as a result of the exercises rather than this being the direct focus. Um, but what I learned through this is that um, the the experience of emotion is really tightly linked with the body. And I guess when I say the body, I find that there's a sort of a lack of effective vocabulary in this area, which is unfortunate. But mm. I'm talking about the the posture of the body, the like what the muscles are doing, um, and how how they are all interacting to sort of hold a person up. Um, so I had a few experiences early on with her training, like when she was giving me lessons, where her goal, which was in some sense a technical goal, because like this is what was needed in order to to like improve my my voice and make me able to to access more of it in order to sing, I needed to relax. Which which sounds maybe kind of simple, simplistic, but it's very much not. <laughs> well, it's actually <laughs> because... if if you tell a person who you know does hasn't relaxed in maybe years relax like what does it mean how do you go about it you know exactly it's, it's not um, simple it's really a skill it's it's something that has to be be learned uh, uh or at least may, maybe not in all contexts but like in, in a modern context um because what happened was um i'm it was a while ago so maybe a bit fuzzy on the details but the part of my body that I needed to relax the most was kind of my uh, lower back and like the muscles around my my pelvis, like these were all locked. And uh, I'm told this is a fairly common type of uh, chronic muscular tension to have. Um, and I think for me, this might have been somewhat uh, somewhat related to, to sexual repression. Like I was pretty uncomfortable with myself sexually. Um, and there's a, there's a way of, uh, a, a lot of body language of like sexy people is about how they move their hips. <laughs> um, and I think subconsciously, I was kind of just trying to lock that all down. I was kind of, kind of ashamed of my, myself. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of another another story, maybe. Yeah, um, and then the other aspect is is posture, because like people who spend a lot of time sitting on a chair, um, especially like a not very comfortable one, um, it's it's kind of an unnatural straining way to sit. So um, it's uh, it, it requires certain muscles to to become tense and rigid and then they sort of sort of lock in this position um and that does have significance emotionally as well or at least i got a really strong 
um, testimony to that through this exercise where um, I had an experience where I managed to relax some of these muscles and I immediately felt this wave of fear wash over me. And I was totally transported out of, out of the, uh, the exercise. Like it wasn't about singing anymore. Mm -hmm. um, it was about, I guess, like an awareness of the vulnerability of my body and uh, just every, everything I was, I was afraid of that was apparently concentrating in this area. <laughs> and uh, what I found kind of bizarre about it is like that experience was was like kind of almost the first time that I'd induced a crisis, <laughs> an emotional mm. crisis without having something happen, uh, without having something that pricked it. Um, it was, it was purely physical. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, transporting, you could almost call it like a peak experience, right? Like something where all of the, everything, all of the particulars fall away and there's just this overwhelming experience. It's like singular and total. But to her, she, she was almost like a like a trained nurse or something like she was or, or a trip sitter like she she knew it was going <laughs> to be intense for me and she knew basically how it was going to present because this is often how it plays out <laughs> huh. um and like she's her her background is in acting training and a lot of acting training is kind of about loosening up um and taking down defensive barriers to uh to like your own relationship with, with fear and desire and anger, like everything that you need to portray as an actor, right? Like that's often the thing that uh, gets in the way of a person's ability to portray emotions in a character is that they've, they've kind of lost their relationship with it within their own bodies. That that's, that's, you know, <laughs> this conversation is, is uncanny because just as you were covering <laughs> uh, the ground related to, you know, embodiment and that I was starting through my mind, just uh, first of all, wanting to say that, that for me also, my wife is, is my savior when it comes to embodiment and all that. I'm almost the typical kind of cerebral um, person. And, you know, I always enjoyed uh, sports, but not not the uh, the solo ones right if if there's a ball and a team like i will play but i was definitely not a very active person who seeks uh challenges let's say and trying to figure out uh my um my limits when it came to range of movement to things like that which today i i have a uh, an understanding of how important it is so it's just mm. so here's another thing that that kind of um, puts us in the same boat and then as you were telling that I was just trying to I was just uh, starting to think about my recent uh, my recent visit to Austria to meet two of my Twitter friends and one of them is the wonderful uh, Nicolaus Sabatil who's been on this podcast a few times and he's an improv uh, guy and improv coach to us and we started doing improv and I was just starting to see ever since coming back two weeks ago I've been telling people listen it's not just that I got to create with friends and have this amazing time and fun this was healing on a deep level because 
you're being sent out there with a cue on um, who to portray, what character, and with what cue you have in mind for the improv. And then this is just like challenging your range of motion physically, right? Suddenly now you're being this other character that moves in a different way and is obviously, um, you know, even speaks with people from a different um distance right so keeping less personal space more personal space this person is afraid is not unafraid and yeah it, mm -hmm. eventually you know it is us who were there like we were able to take on this role and had we not been able we we probably it means that there is something seriously wrong um yeah, so it's it's just uncanny how I was just <laughs> thinking about the healing power of acting and improv, and you were just uh, starting to talk about it <laughs> in real time. So that's that's amazing, and I I, I couldn't agree more yeah. about the embodiment part, and it's something that I've been trying to put more emphasis on in my life. So my wife started um, training in natural parkour, and then. Now, when she goes out, I, I follow suit and, and try to also always kind of push the envelope and challenge myself and keep my range of motion and a little bit of, you know, never get to that point where you're too weak to get off the floor or stuff, because it's just, <laughs> it's just a matter of, of keeping it there, right? We're all born being able to do a lot and it just takes a little bit of work to, to keep it in order but this can go away very quickly yeah. in even our 30s if if we're not if we're just sitting um on a chair as you say and it's very interesting um you probably i mean you you must know about uh, holotropic breathing right oh interesting holotropic breathing maybe yeah, not oh. by that name Okay, I, I thought it would be uh, like a for sure thing that, that you've um, come across, but it's, it's basically just <laughs> adopting a pattern of breathing, just lying down with a sitter and you just basically you're panting for, for a while and it gets you into this trance. And eventually for most people, it, it creates a, a crisis, just as you say, um, <laughs> a lot of times it's... Um, it's expressed as um, shivering or even trembling, shaking, things like that. Right. A lot of crying. Uh, so it's it's really a psychedelic thing, and it's uh, no no substances other than you know the levels of CO two and oxygen <laughs> in your blood, which apparently is enough. Um, right. So, so it's it's very interesting how techniques that have to do with our body can break down defenses that have been put there for years right um yeah so really interested Certainly. to hear uh what was in in store for you after kind of being able to maybe uh make a breakthrough in some sense yeah okay i'm i'm really interested in what you just said about um holotropic breath work because i have had similar experiences, especially recently, because I have been working on my breath work. Uh, I, it might be different from the from the the typical technique, because it sounds like you were describing breathing that's fast and shallow, or 
possibly not shallow. I'm not sure about that. I I think so. I'm not I'm not completely uh, sure exactly what happens, but I think it's it's pretty mm -hmm. fast and it goes like to to a beat or something like that. Um, okay. I think um, Michael Pollan has has written about it in his book about psychedelics, how to change your mind, and I think it can be found in James Nestor's book Breath, which is about the breath and all the things that is wrong with our breath today. And right. that was another thing that my wife brought to my attention. I was like, oh, funny breathing. <laughs> I've been doing it all my life. You think you could teach me something new? <laughs> I was like, yes, everyone should read it. Uh, we're not breathing right. Uh, a lot of stuff is wrong with our food and we can do a lot better. Um, so that those, mm -hmm. those two books are great resources for, for that. Okay. Having, I, I will check those books out, um, but having, having not read them, <laughs> I could just share what I've read from, from Danielle. I have uh, a lot to say about the topic of breath, actually. Uh, it took me quite a while to understand after, like, after the training, because it's one thing to learn it from a uh, practice perspective, which often requires a bit of um, imaginal work where you're visualizing things and coming at it from different angles to develop, to develop this felt sense of what to do. Um, but it's another thing to understand physiologically what's happening. Um, and one of the things that I learned there that was very significant to, to, to this whole the thing we've been talking about is how to take a deep breath, like how to take a, a breath of maximum capacity. So what I learned here is, well, to start, I mean, this, I'm going to start with something that's probably pretty obvious and pretty well known is that the, the key to breathing uh, physiologically is the diaphragm, which uh, is a muscle that rests underneath the lungs, um, kind of directly supporting them. Um, and when we breathe in, the diaphragm drops. Um, and then when we exhale, it uh, it rises again uh, to 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 pump air in and out of the, the lungs, or but, to be to be even more precise, as it drops down, we inhale, right? So it's really yeah the muscles that we control. There is no kind of bringing an active intake of air on our part. It's just a natural uh, a physical thing right. that happens when pressure drops, right? That's right. And from a, a tactile perspective, we might experience breath as something that happens in the mouth and the throat or the lungs themselves, but it very much happens in the diaphragm. Mm. Yeah, that's the part that actuates it. And also quite significantly, the inhaling is the part that is doing the work and exhaling is relaxation, which I think we all have an intuitive feel for when you breathe a sigh of relief. It's like some breath was trapped and then you go, because ah, that's right. the sound, sound of your muscles relaxing again, right? Um, but the key thing about this, because people talk about chest breath and belly breath and uh, uh, like different kinds of breath, and what this actually corresponds to is the series of um, stages of pressure being applied to different parts of the body as the diaphragm tenses and basically moves things around. So the diaphragm isn't um, expanding into empty space. It's actually pushing the, the, the gut 
rats in the chest cavity down um, and, and also somewhat out. <laughs> so if your muscles, if there's tension almost anywhere in your chest cavity, the ability of the diaphragm to fully expand will be impaired because that tension means that the muscle, well, it means if it's tense, it can't relax. If it's tense, it's not relaxed. Um, when it's relaxed, the muscle can give way and allow your chest cavity to expand. Mm. So when people talk about belly breath, what they're referring to is um, when your, your abdominal muscles, like your six pack, <laughs> when, when, when that is relaxed enough to accommodate expansion around the stomach. Um, and a belly breath isn't on its own a sign of uh, like a good high capacity breath. Um, because that also depends on what other parts of your muscles are doing. So there's also, well, they call it chest breathing. Chest breathing is considered to be one of the worst kinds, like it's closer to hyperventilating. Mm -hmm. But actually, um, there are muscles, like the intercostal muscles between the ribs. Um, if those are tense, that reduces your ability to take a full breath. So to take a full breath, um, there's, there might be some things I'm missing here, but it's kind of a partial list of what parts of the body need to be relaxed. Um, the, the muscles in the chest, uh, the muscles in the floating ribs, which are around the, around the back. So uh, the, around the back, the, 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 rib, the bones are, are fixed. So there's no breathing there, except for the floating ribs, which are the ones at the bottom of, uh, of that area. So there's muscles there that, uh, that may be chronically tense or may not. Um, and then of course the abdomen and then the muscles that are called the, the pelvic floor, which is something that I, um, that was a lot of what I had learned to, to figure out how to get relaxed. Um, but then when all of those are relaxed, it's quite astounding uh, what that can feel like. So this also relates to um, holotropic breathing, like the, the possibility of entering a trance state. Uh, it can be achieved not just with rapid breaths, but also with slow maximum capacity breaths, mm, which is something I, I got familiar with later on using, using the, the things that I learned from Danielle, not just for voice work, but also for meditative work, like using the breath as a, as a guide to where the tension was in my body. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So thanks for taking us through um, the, the actual technical details, first of all. And to, to tie it back kind of with the psychological effect of things and the psychological side of things, um, what, what for you was the, 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 the result of this? Is it... Uh, is it a broadening of, of the spectrum of emotion or is it just being able to uh, more easily move from one emotion and just getting out of this habit that you had to go into the safe place of, which is, uh, yeah, by the way, how, how would you describe the mood of, uh, of being in that, of being in the safe space. Like, what is the mood there? Is it 
something that is negative or is it numbness or what is it exactly? Right. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, it is basically numbness. It's kind of emotion shrinking to a point so that I'm not even really aware of what I am feeling or not feeling. Right. Uh, and then the experience of the breath work is the exact opposite of that. It's, it's a heightening of every kind of feeling and, um, everything is everything is happening at once <laughs> um there's there's a, a a movie called my dinner with andre have you seen it or heard of it i've heard of it but no idea there's, really. yeah so it is a conversation between actors uh and a lot of there are a lot of references to, like to interesting schools of acting and like strange rituals it's like kind of semi-autobiographical at the same time it's, it's quite a fascinating movie um there's a line from it that just buried it, embedded itself in my mind, which is, um, I'm, I'm going to, unfortunately, I'm going to have to paraphrase it. <laughs> but the, the line is something like, when you have a moment of being acutely aware that you are alive, uh, what comes immediately on the heels of that is uh, an equally strong awareness of death. So one of the things that causes people to in a sense, not want to be aware that they're alive is that that awareness is coupled with an awareness that they're going to die. Um, and I'd say like, that's the feeling that, that best encapsulates what it's like to have a particularly intense breath trip is just the sense of, um, a sense of being intellectually so much closer to everything. Everything is much more immediate. Um, and that applies both to like the sensation of being in in like in in the room just the 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 details of it like how one's body is positioned and like smells and sounds um but also this very much the strong feeling of uh intensity and i guess for me personally kind of feeling of being being like an ember that's burning gloriously and is is on the verge of being extinguished um Mm. So naturally, it's quite it's it's quite uh, transformative. Uh, that's that's goes, that's amazing. Right. Yeah, and again, you know, it 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 relates to to my story uh, because when I think about the turnaround point for me, and it wasn't so much a point, but it was a, a process, and by the end of it, I had a, a conviction and a decision to allow myself. To feel again it was a very conscious thing it was a decision to open up to the world and recognize that uh, if i ever want to feel anything that's positive you know i i just have to also accept the possibility that i might get hurt and doing that yes it, it this decision never let me down right because in effect, once once you do it, you realize that it's totally worth it. And I think uh, part of it was maybe uh, Nietzsche's uh, demon. Uh, so he had a thought experiment where a demon shows up in your bed above your head. And he says, uh, listen, I have uh, news for you. This life, this exact life, you're going to have to live it all over again. On, on the highs and, and the lows and everything will be exactly the same. 
And the thought experiment is, well, are you going to curse this demon or are you going to, to say thank you, you know, for knowing that? And in the end, I think that for all of us, it's quite a, a mystical thing almost because I don't really know how, how this is possible in terms of, you know, is there free will and all that, but it's really mm -hmm. up to us to just focus on the, on the really good things that happened to <laughs> us, you know, and be able to say that everything that led to them was good for getting to that point. And that includes all the, all the painful things. Um, so yeah, I, 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 again, very, very much, um, feel that what you say is, is in accordance with, with what I, I was feeling back then. What I have been feeling is that there is, there is a decision to completely surrender in, in that's in that, in some sense to what the world brings and to me an image i like using is just being either in a relationship like i sometimes think of myself like yeah i i will be a doormat in some sense like i will let the other person um have the possibility of hurting me you know because i want to be open mm. and undefended and another one i have is that sometimes i just can see myself just out in space. So a yell in space, um, <laughs> just kind of going completely limp, not with my mind, but with my body and realizing that, that, yeah, the cosmic rays are, are out there just hitting me, uh, but they're going to do it anyway. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I guess I'll be disintegrating soon, but you know, <laughs> just, just the resistance, I, I can save myself the, the, the feeling of resistance that is, uh, both futile and unpleasant. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, th I think that that touches on a thought, a, a little thought that I had, uh, once that, um, in every, every moment, whatever is going on, uh, there's, there's a choice to experience it and take whatever lesson or whatever, whatever reality there is uh, in that moment uh, or to let it pass by. And I think that is often what I find myself on a day-to-day -day level uh, that that's kind of my struggle or my mission <laughs> is to try to try to soak up as much as I can from experiences that are that are uncomfortable. So that thought, since since I expressed it, that thought keeps coming back to me at different times. Like like I I, I st stumble into the bathroom having just woken up and like have a have a headache and maybe I think there might be a cold coming on. My sinuses feel all clogged. Right. I look in the mirror in that moment and I think, you know, what can I what can I touch? What can I take from this experience that I'm having that feels so aggressively uh, normal <laughs> and uh, disappointing and frustrating? Um, and I, I find whatever is going on psychologically behind that choice, it feels very connected to the breath work, that it's, it's very hard to be in a state of you know, being closed. I think they, the phrase collapsed awareness applies here too, um, of trying to kind of fast forward past things. Like in, in, the, in the 
in the state of having um, of like complete relaxation and deep breath, it's almost impossible to be to be um, pressing fast forward. Yeah, yeah, and you know, since you now mentioned again the the collapsed awareness, and it kind of took me back to thinking about the the whole notion that um, you're not being productive, both in the sense that you know, you might get flagged from an employer or a professor or something for not doing what you had to do, but also on a very personal level with yourself, right? It's just like life mm -hmm. goes by and you just know that you've had experiences that you wanted to, to experience and you had uh, work to do that you wanted to do. You wanted to impact the world in some way. And before you notice, you know, it's been sometimes years and, I I definitely feel that that I felt that and this is a really interesting link between the two right this this openness to experience and to emotion and just the understanding that with that the the whole notion of of having a switch between inaction and action it just becomes more gradual there's just more flow introduced immediately and that is because in both uh, a literal or a physical sense and both in a mm -hmm. uh, figurative sense you're not so concerned with making yourself other from the world if that makes sense right you're not disengaging mm. so disengagement you know it's just like the clutch in a car if you're disengaged then nobody's going anywhere <laughs> absolutely that's that's so well put <laughs> um uh it it relates to to um what i've been doing more recently based on this body work uh and 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 what feels like quite an important connection between between breath and uh like so somatic awareness like like bodily awareness and uh and and this phenomenon, I I, I guess of, of of flow of being aware of being in the stream of life, um, I think it's very connected to what I've come to understand is in the word love. That like quite a lot of the concept of love applies not only to loving other people but also to loving yourself, which I think in our society often has a kind of a vicious connotation that self-love is, is, is selfish, it's self-centered, it's egoistic. All of these words are, are seen as bad, but I think actually self-love is part of, um, it's kind of the point from which the other loves radiate because it, I, I think in practice, it's very difficult to, to truly love someone else if you don't love yourself, which may, maybe is a cliche, but it's 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 there for a reason <laughs> yeah um and also i think in the concept of loving oneself so this is um something i'm developing right now is um i call it uh somatic integration so it's kind of a combination of um like breath work exercise and uh integration therapy something like that but it's basically about loving all of the different parts of oneself as, 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 as part of like a broader exercise. Um, and 
um, without without going too much into detail with it, um, what came to me as a, as a really important insight from this work I've been doing is that in times of crisis or heightened self-hatred or like chronic stress, often like this manifests as like an anger, um, uh, just a desire, again, that desire to like exit, you know, just be away from it all. And that in a sense, this is a betrayal of, <laughs> and this this is going to sound really silly, but it's a, it's a betrayal of your of your liver, which is working very hard <laughs> to purify your blood all the time just to keep your ungrateful ass alive. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess what I mean is like, not that I, not, not that I exactly have like a meditation practice where I give thanks to my, my liver. Although what I'm working on is not too far from that. The reason I'm not doing that is just that I don't really have, have an immediate awareness of, of where my liver is or what it's doing, mm-hmm. but it's, it's basically the spirit of it is to, is to get, a, get away from stress by connecting with, what all of the parts of my body, like both physiologically and psychologically, the parts of my mind, what all of these parts are doing, uh, you know, to keep me alive, to keep things going, and to just, just kind of be aware of the the beauty of that, and the the difficulty of it, and the the miraculousness of it. Um, and I find, like after after doing that, there's a mental state that I can approach, where. I, I feel profound, profound gratitude toward, uh, like toward the parts of myself, <laughs> and also through that, I think through for for the the the, the universe, you know, um, yeah, in a broader sense, just the wonder of the whole phenomenon that I'm embedded in, and where like the concept of being embodied no longer seems like a burden, but it actually seems beautiful and seems like the the conduit or the the way in which I am connected to the world is the way that I'm given physical form. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean for for those listening who have listened to the to the episode where I do mention uh my concept of of well-being and of living well, you know, it is actually none other than uh, sustaining mental health basically eventually and it's not even it's not even mental it's the mental and the physical together so um the body mind health or whatever we want to call it uh, and mm-hmm. yeah what what better way to learn about uh what a system is like when it's harmonized through time i.e is healthy than to look at our body and see what an amazing uh, machine it is and and how it's working yes. towards sustaining itself another day um, and from that a metaphor could be extended into uh, the mental realm so that we may enjoy the the synthesis of these two because i think the whole conversation here is pretty much blurring the line between the mental and the physical which it's very much blurred and some conditions that that people have to endure like anxiety or many and and varied conditions you know they lie right at the junction between the mental and the physical and it's such a confusing Mm. thing for us for most of us in uh, in western culture at least that it's very hard to identify this line and i think the line 
is not really a line. It's a pseudo line. There's really no line eventually. Of course, it makes sense to refer to organs as, as parts of the body and not parts of the soul, of course, like that. I'm not going to undermine that, but also remember that it's it's so important to kind of have metaphors and feelings and it's not about taking it literally and be uh, i don't know for me uh, pouring praise on my liver or something like that that's that's <laughs> not the point but as you say it just kind of somehow transfers into a different realm of of the mental and it i think sorts things out um there on that realm and mm -hmm. yeah so that makes perfect sense to me that any kind of uh, meditation by meditation i mean even deep thought not necessarily just focusing on one thing or something like that but any type of meditation focused on the way um our body is healthy i.e harmonized through time and self-harmonizing as well is is probably good for eventually the experience in consciousness that that we're having mm. and of course whatever goes through our consciousness is all we have at the end of the day yeah yeah i i, I really agree with that i think it's what, what i've found especially useful is this is the sense that i don't need to have effective answers to these questions about where the mind body uh, like where the where where to draw the line between mental and and like somatic exactly. phenomena. I don't I don't need to know um, if I'm if I'm simply if I if I strive for maximal awareness. Um, that's a that's a practice that I can get better at, and it has an enormous rewards. And it doesn't have anything to do, in a sense, with with uh, with like what the answer is, what the final answers to these questions <laughs> yeah absolutely so wondering uh where has this journey uh taken you and do you still recognize that maybe maybe at, at the base like there is a basic habit that is just you know after so many years of of being yeah of one disposition is is hard to get rid of but do you notice a, a change towards something uh, a different way of being where you are more and more habitually just more open and enjoying better flow? Hmm. Uh, very much so. Um, I sometimes feel a little bit of regret that um, there is not a lot of video evidence for the kind of person I was uh, like as a child or as a teenager, mm. because I think if I showed that to people, they would be... Uh, a little surprised um, at how far I've come. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I do think I am much more open than I used to be in a lot of ways. Um, and also like I, I am gradually building resilience in this more open state that, which is mostly a matter of recognizing when I see that the circumstances of my life are dragging me away from it. Um, because I think this is, like you said, like spending a long time in one state and then transitioning to another is, is always a little bit unstable. And I think there's some fairly well-attested psychological theories too, that in times of extreme stress, uh, we tend to regress in time, that we, we right. reactivate 
uh, like a complex of associations that uh, originate in a different different time, something that was that was stable then. So often when I'm under a lot of stress, I do tend to go go back to being a more more closed kind of person. But yeah, it's changed it's changed what my life feels like, and it's also irreversibly changed what I'm interested in, I think, because now uh, the emotional world is so much more important to me than it used to be. And that's also so much what I want to bring to other people as well. Like I want to introduce them to the experiences that I, I got to have. Um, yeah, I think, I think that, you know, emotionally speaking, it's very important to understand that we are blessed to have such a huge range of emotions. And of course we give them names, but really it's very unlikely that each of us has even twice in our life really experienced the very same emotion. If you go down to the, <laughs> to, to physical level. And uh, that's mm. a point that uh, Lisa, uh, Lisa Barrett Feldman makes a neuroscientist and she's, she's a great person to listen to on emotions and how emotions and the brain interact or how they um, are manifested in the brain and in the body. And mm -hmm. if we just realize that emotions are a response to some sort of, of stimuli or is an attempt as, as uh, Barrett Feldman would say to, to regulate our inner world, if we realize that, then of course it becomes clear if we see them more as, as tools in a toolkit that we want to have as many tools as possible, <laughs> as many emotions right. in, in, our, in a repertoire to deal with, with life. And, you know, even, even anger, even sadness, these things that I often hear people say are negative emotions, well, they play some of the most vital um, parts in, in our life. It's, it's very certain specific, um, um, very certain specific um, instances, right? And they are so important. And this is not something that you want to shut out. Like, why would you want to give up on, on any tool that could help you go through life healthy? <laughs> Certainly. Um, I'd, I'd like to add to that too, about emotion, like some of the reasons that, um, I think it's, it, it can, uh, it can benefit people. Um, so, so one of the, one idea that I've been toying with, and I think, um, this is in the, in the, in the water supply, uh, a fair bit. It's, it's not exactly unique to me, but, um, talking about emotion as, as being, partly about action, like not just about, um, not just the relationship of emotion to the body, but, but specifically the relation of emotion to the, the moving body. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the, like, I don't generally like to make etymological arguments, but I think it's very well worth noting <laughs> that the word emotion literally means moving out. Um, so this is the same root as emoting. So when you emote, you're doing actions. But nowadays, the clinical study of emotion, what I find so strange about it is it's, it's been utterly separated from uh, an association with, with doing things. Like the concept is, you know, you receive some stimuli, the stimuli turn into an emotion, 
and then the emotion uh, sort of colors the physical prompts that you then decide between. But I think the relationship is actually much more immediate than that. Um, and my my sort of pet theory <laughs> is that um, we ch children learn very early, possibly before they're like before they're capable of remembering it, um, not to act on their emotions, because you know if any time that they they react authentically to anger or or even possibly to joy or excitement, and they you know they make a problem and they get punished for it. Um, well, there are a lot of different ways to react to that. Like, I think it's not healthy to react um, impulsively to emotional stimuli, especially as an adult. But one way to prevent yourself from reacting impulsively is to tense up. Uh, and I think this right. is often, this is too often what children learn. They, uh, they simply... Um, activate all of the muscles that prevent them from doing things. So that's basically what, what tensing up is, like activating the muscles that are opposing your action right. um, before you even have a chance to act. And then the issue with that is that it creates a, um, it, it breaks the, the cycle and it creates a feeling of, of impotence that your emotions are, have to be captured inside because the, the way that they find form in your, in your body is unacceptable to the to the grown-ups right so I, yeah I, I couldn't agree more and you know what jumps into my mind is again going back to the to the lungs and just our ability we have the ability to hold in air for a while consciously and mm -hmm. uh, basically what you're saying now uh, can be uh, expressed as a metaphor that you know we are taught that it's beneficial for us to to contain and like take a, a deep breath. And we said that that is actually using our muscles, right. And hold it in and not, mm -hmm. not let it out. And, you know, let's play a game of how long could we do that? So it's right. like, hold it in, hold it in, contain, don't, don't move. So, you know, in a very real way in the metaphor too, you know, that really disrupts the natural cycle of breathing in and out. And you end up uh, full of something, <laughs> that needs to get out one way or another, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Thankfully, we're not able to actually burst our own lungs with, with taking mm -hmm. more air that is possible. But, you know, if you add to the metaphor, somehow being able to, um, I don't know, dive deep <laughs> and then go up mm -hmm. very fast, they could even burst. So <laughs> we'll have to think about <laughs> what in the metaphor is, is this thing. Um, but anyway, that's taking it too far. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> this this holding inside and not letting out. I agree. We we need to to know how to be uh, one with the flow of things and to enjoy the cadence of things. And sure, it's it's not fitting to be angry all the time. But then there needs to come a, a solution different than just like hold it in. That is mm -hmm. not that is not a, a sustainable solution for sure. Yeah, and anger is a good one to to examine because, of course, I can put myself in the shoes of a parent with an angry child, and how see how right. how challenging that is because, like, often when kids get angry and they're not in an age where they've learned to 
uh, take other people's feelings into account. They might just get angry and hit someone or destroy something. Um, and that tendency, you know, for people to retain our inner child in that respect into adulthood is probably not a good thing. Um, but there's there's a space between that, that kind of authentic, sometimes violent reaction to an emotional stimulus and the more, you know, <laughs> civilized man approach of, uh, of being so tense and buttoned up all the time that no reaction comes out at all. So I think the the healthy thing and probably what would be a good thing to teach to kids, but you know, you're never too never too old to start learning this, is 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 basically learning to emote in that literal sense of like um reacting to anger by doing things that people do, like um uh, waving their fists in the air. You know, you, you find some way of expressing anger that is personal to you, it suits you, doesn't involve hurting or destroying. Um that I think is much more healthy because then the emotion is there to be reckoned with in the social space as well. Like other people can see that you're mad <laughs> rather than everything staying inside and, and you lose the channel of communication with other people as well, especially right. around anger. I think anger is, is the most repressed of the emotions. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, you know, I, I will just say that uh, the the tragedy of of raising children is that it's it's the worst scientific experiment right there is no control <laughs> group you only get to do it a few times in your life and they mm -hmm. have really different temperaments to begin with so it's like nothing scientific about it um but i will Certainly. say that <laughs> but i will say that from my experience with children and i just have one daughter but she has been um, homeschooled so far and I do notice it with other children who are in the in the education system going to a kindergarten and stuff that I think that the um, beginnings of, of an angry child is in all the times that they have just not been um, tended to by mm -hmm. by people close to them and it's it's not so much even the the instances where they have to fight over something or anything like that. I think that real anger, real frustration comes from not having your needs met in, in some way. And so I mm. will just say that, you know, maybe this is just me rationalizing to justify my own life choices, but it does uh, seem to me like anger is really could be a lot rarer anyway mm. than 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 what we have been experiencing in in our societies and in children and then subsequently in adults mm. yeah um that actually fits in kind of nicely with the 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 story from from the beginning right of the uh, like um that experience i had where i burst it into tears uh that emotions are a lot scarier when they come out in a way that transcends the control system that we've mm. placed on ourselves to avoid having them emerge i i think like the people who are most like this is kind of a this is a hypothesis uh the the people who are most prone to violent outbursts are often going to be the ones who are not comfortable expressing their mm. anger so at some point the anger uh, as it were, uh, takes over the the control controls of the of the self, because 
there, it, does, it doesn't have a place in the normal course of things. So then it only comes out in extreme stress and then that can have terrible consequences. But that unfortunately creates a feedback loop where we're even more afraid of anger because of, because of the effect that repression has to make it more acute and less controllable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, well, this, you know, feels to me like a, a very open-ended discussion and it could go for a long while, like with this back and forth. <laughs> and again, I'm just surprised um, in, in the best way possible, how our experiences are kind of uh, similar in a way. And just so I, I really felt that this conversation is especially like deeply personal and uh, really mm -hmm. happy to have, to have had it with you um, before we, yeah, thank you. Uh, before we are, I'd love to, to hear from you if you, first of all, have any um, final thoughts um, or an epilogue maybe to this. And also if you want to lead people to any uh, place on the internet, I guess, where your thoughts and where it could be found or anything like that, then you're welcome to do that. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, well, final thoughts. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, again, really grateful for the opportunity to, to talk about all this with you. And um, yeah, this is something I want to talk about more. I want more people to know about, um, but like the relationship of the, uh, like the role that the body plays in emotions and then the role that uh, the breath plays within that. Um, and of course, as I mentioned, I learned a lot of this from my partner, Danielle, who is still a voice and speaking coach. Um, so she can be found um, at uh, in Inspired Coaching uh, or at Stage Joy on Twitter. Okay. Um, and I write, I'd like to also, I'd like to write more about this, but I don't have, have much published. But uh, my writing is at Matthias in Space at substack.com uh, and uh, I do intend to write more on this topic in the future so yeah check it out. so that, that, <laughs> that will be a, a welcome addition to, um, to the world's greatest library and I'm uh, looking forward <laughs> to definitely reading about it and, and learning more and yeah thanks so much for coming on Matthias and um, looking forward to more conversation thank you so much it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.